Hi everyone and welcome back to Talking Sense with Karen and Haley. Today we're going to talk to you about how a fragrance is constructed and how a perfumer may design a perfume for the market. So despite a perfumery being called the living art, it can't just rely on the art of it. That is a big portion of it, obviously. Um, a perfumer needs to be able to, to have a vision of what a perfume should smell like and to then recreate that. So there's a big uh, artistic element to it. However, the other uh, side of the coin is also the, the science behind it. So there's a huge bank of scientific knowledge that a perfumer has to have in order to, to design a robust uh, perfume. So to take you back to a really basic um, way of describing the structure of a perfume, if you think of a triangle, um, and if you break that triangle down into three different portions, so at the top of the triangle, the point is what you would call the top notes. The middle of the triangle is what you would call the middle notes. And at the bottom, the base of the pyramid is what you would call the base notes. And basically what that is, it is structuring what the, each of the fragrance notes are, but based on how they evaporate. Um, so the ones at the top evaporate really quickly and the ones that you can smell pretty much immediately. <clears throat> and then the ones at the bottom typically are your heavy, um, complex um, materials that are very residual. So I'll take you through each of those. Um, at the top, um, as I say, these will be ones that are very light uh, fragrances. So typically you'll be looking at kind of citrus notes here. So oranges, lemons, limes, um, bergamot, things like that. <clears throat> and those will be perceivable pretty much immediately. If you think of it in the context of a fine fragrance, for example, they will be uh, perceived as you're spraying the perfume on yourself. And then the last about maybe 10, 15 minutes after application, after those have dissipated into the, into the air. Then next down, you've got the, the middle notes. Now these start to appear as the top notes dissipate. Um, and this is where the, the main body of the perfume is and where uh, you will smell materials. Uh, there's a lot of florals in there. Um, but some spices, um, but floral is, is the big uh, is the big portion within the in the heart note of a fragrance. And typically on a fine fragrance level, this will last around about an additional thirty minutes. Um, and then you get down to the bottom part, which is the base notes. Now these are the the big heavy materials. So you're looking here like things like mosses, um, musks, ambers, um, woods. Um, and uh, that will be um, a lot of, um, as I say, very residual uh, chemicals there. And they start to appear after the heart notes fade away. And these can last for hours. Now, in, again, in the context of a fine fragrance, um, you may find some fragrances can last for, for days. Um, one of my favourite perfumes that I like for residuality um, is La Vie Belle. And um, have you used that one, Karen? No, I haven't used that one. It's a Longcom, is it? Yeah, it's Longcom. Um, so next time I see you, I can, I can bring it uh, with me. Um, but whenever I wear that, 
um, the the bass notes on that. It's it's a it's a lovely fragrance. It's got um it's got lovely um musks and ambers and um a very creamy um edible aspect to it as well. And um the the dry down. Um, so I typically when I wear it. <coughs> I'll put fine fragrance on my wrists, my neck, um, and if I'm um, wearing a top or usually a scarf, I'll, I'll just spray a little bit on there as well. And the Levia Bell is the one perfume that I use, and I use quite a few different ones, that lasts for weeks. I can pick up my scarf, um, obviously not on me because I do shower myself, um, but I can pick up my, my scarf if I've uh, had it in the cupboard, and pick it out and it just smells immediately of Livia Bell. So that is an example of a perfume that's been designed with a very strong portion in the base notes. It's very residual. And typically you will find that is kind of a, a gold standard for fine fragrances. Um, because what you don't want to have in a fine fragrance is it just to be all top notes or all middle notes. What a perfumer will try and do is that they will try and balance depending on the end product. So um, for a fine fragrance, you do want it to smell as you're spraying it. You do want it to have that perfume for the last next 20 to 30 minutes. And you also want it to last for a few hours. You want it to last as long as that person wants it to wear it and sometimes for a full day, if not more. Um, so for fine fragrances, you will have a good balance across the top, middle and the base. However, if you think about it in different contexts as well, um, you may not want that balance. Um, and a good example for this is dish products. So dish products, if, um, if you had a lot of base notes on there, you would get a lot of perfume um, and, and fragrance order on your dishes which is a big no-no. Um, I used to work on dish products. I worked on the fairy auto dish tablets and one of the big things that we have to be careful with in designing that is that you wouldn't um, get any residual perfume on the dishes because if a consumer smelt perfume on their dishes they would see that as some kind of contamination they would think it would get onto their food they'd be ingesting it and it was you, you didn't want to go down that route so when you're designing an auto dish product you're looking at something that you, you want to be strong in the top and the middle notes but you don't want to have if any uh, a very small amount if if non-base notes in there so it does depend on the end product how you will structure it and how, what the proportion is of the top, middle and base. But typically, most perfumes will have a mixture of those three. Um, and then it's not just about how quickly they evaporate as well. Um, it is, you've got so many different aspects when, you think, when you're thinking about designing a fragrance. And this is where... Um, Technology has come in useful actually for, for perfumery um, because in recent history, we've been able to do a lot of modeling of certain ingredients and about their, their nature, their parameters and how they interact with different things. So there's a lot of um, uh, algorithms out there now that um, we test uh, raw material and it comes out with all this wonderful information that provides us with creation guidelines. So um, you need to have 
this level of material A in a particular formula for it to be detectable, etc. So you get a lot of these um, uh, numerical and uh, big databases with lo lots of information in, which is really, really helpful because back in the day you didn't have as many materials now the the palette of raw materials that you're working with you're in the thousands of types of different materials so having all that knowledge is quite difficult so now we do rely on a lot of um, modeling and algorithms that are coming out and it really it provides the perfumer a huge in-depth knowledge of the the chemical and the, the the physical parameters of each of these raw materials so they know that when they blend these ingredients together, that it will have this, uh, this um, particular effect. And those algorithms can be things on um, the intensity, um, because it's, uh, some materials aren't a linear intensity, so the more you add, the stronger it gets. That's not the case. You may hit a plateau point where you add a particular material and it just smells the same and as, as if it would if you doubled it. Um, so there's all that information in there. So there's intensity, substantivity, um, efficacy for particular malodors. So if you're doing deodorants, how efficacious is that particular material in covering body odor, for instance, or if it's for laundry, um, damp towels or something like that. Um, and up to bloom as well, so how much it can bloom um, around, uh, around the room when you wear it. So there's a lot of um, scientific parameters to look and dive into. And yes, the perfumer does need to be aware of these and they do pick things up over time, but we have been um, mightily gifted with uh, technology to allow us to, to test different things and to see different things. And that helps us fine tune um, the design of a perfume. Um, and as we've mentioned in a, a couple of our other videos as well, you've got different types of materials that you can use in a perfume. Um, and the two main types are um, essential oils and aroma chemicals. Um, and a typical fragrance that's on the market, whether it be a fine fragrance or, um, or something in a shampoo, for instance, you're looking at around about a 70-30 split between aroma chemicals and essential oils. So, so in the 70% in uh, sorry Hayley, would the 70% in what you're talking about here be the aroma chemicals or the essential oils? Yeah, the aroma chemicals. So 70% yeah. roughly aroma chemicals and then 30% um, essential oils. Um, and that's kind of like an average. Um, you do um, obviously get shifts in that um, and particularly in recent history as well because there is a huge trend at the moment for natural um, uh, and essential oil fragrances about so you do tend to see that either it'll be 100% essential oil or they'll flip it and they'll do 70% essential oil and 30% aroma chemicals so you do get um, a flip around depending on the the end product again but as standard um, you would be looking at a 70% aroma chemicals 30% essential oils as a as a generic um, consumer goods product fragrance out there um, but yeah and it's it's one of those things where I think if years ago I know we discussed this in the previous video um, Karen that fragrances are were predominantly um, 
100% essential oil because it didn't, there was no aroma chemicals. Um, and then it reached the point of the scientific era and aroma chemicals came in and then they started to replace a lot of essential oils and hence why you get that 70-30 split now. Um, but in recent history, because the trends are changing and because people are becoming more aware of what they're putting on their body and what... <coughs> bless you. Um, what they might be putting on their body and, and using uh, in the environment and such, that is starting to flip back a little bit more. So it's going a bit more nostalgic and going a little bit more back into, into history. But ne I, I, never will it, um, will, I doubt we will see a day where we will go back to 100% essential oils for sure. Um, aroma chemicals, um, the reason why they were brought in was because essential oils that you, you would have a lot of supply issues. There's obviously a limited quantity of them. Um, they can be very expensive as well. So aroma chemicals added in this element of there was, um, it was cheaper. Um, you could make them en masse. Um, you could uh, replicate things from nature. So if there was ever a, a natural disaster and you ran out of a particular material, you would still be able to, to have that particular order because it was synthetically produced. So there's a lot of different benefits to, to both of them, um, but the aromatic chemicals certainly add a bit more of a reassurance over essential oils where it can be, it can be a lot more volatile in quality, in cost, um, etc. And aroma chemicals also add an extra bit of sparkle in a fragrance as well. It can be, um, if you're designing a fragrance with 100% essential oils, it can be difficult to get um, the complexity out of it. Um, yeah. It can be quite linear, and I suppose you're, you're much more um, experienced in this than me because uh, you've worked with aromatherapy oils um, more than myself, but the aroma chemicals add that extra sparkle and can add an extra hook into a fragrance that an yeah. essential oil can't. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely it's definitely there to there for a reason, not just a a practical element from cost and production methods and things like that, but from an olfactive point of view. Um, yeah. They're hugely standardized, can't they? So you know that next time you make a batch of that particular fragrance it's going to be identical whereas with essential oils you know even if you use the same supplier um if you're getting the next year's crop it, if the weather conditions were different it can be quite different so you know essential oils probably compared to wine they're affected by how they're grown you know what the weather conditions are what side of a mountain they come from all sorts of different things even their altitude Whereas with uh, aroma chemicals, you can you get a, um, a definite, you know that it's going to be exactly the same each time. Yeah, definitely that that consistency. And because I remember when I, I when I used to to work at uh, Procter, I was um, one of my parts of my job was to collect the incoming raw materials. So I would order place the orders with the suppliers, and then they would. Uh, be brought in and then it would be my job to kind of olfactively check them and then put them in the stock room if they were, if they were suitable. Aroma chemicals, you pretty much pass things 100% of the time. The, when you started to get to the, the natural materials and the essential oils, it, it was, I would probably say you're looking at about a, a 20 to 30% 
fail rate um, and that was because you would um, struggle to find things that were exactly the same because whenever we assessed them they were always versus a standard um, so whatever we had as our standard could smell different to the one that we just received in um, because you say it might have it might have had a bad summer or a bad winter and then that affects the quality um, and typically you would end up getting a fail but then what you'd have to do is as, as if it failed you'd have to take it to a perfumer and a perfumer would say yeah it's different to the standard but actually in the context of it um, it's still representative of that material yeah. so it was always a, a big uh, a big thing to consider that yes it might smell different but that doesn't mean that it's that it's bad or wrong um so aroma chemicals for sure do add that consistency which um which is especially important when you're talking about things that you're producing on mass um if yeah. you're producing tons and tons and tons of washing powder and you cannot guarantee that um, each batch will smell the same. You do face a lot of um, issues when it comes to consumer complaints and such, which is why you tend to see a lot higher proportion of aroma chemicals in a formula than um, essential oils, just from that consistency point of view and from a cost point of view as well, of course. Um, but you tend to start to see you know, a lot more artisanal and niche products um, that are at a smaller volume, a smaller scale, that the essential oil proportion will be at the higher end, if not creeping up um, to, to being 100% of it as well. Yeah, yeah. Certainly in my work, it's, um, it's I'm the other end of the scale. I went out on my bespoke perfumes. Um, I'll, I'll tend to be somewhere between 80 and 90% naturals. And then I add that sparkle with, with the aroma chemicals. Um, you know, because you can create light and shade with the aroma chems that you can't uh, you can't replicate with all naturals. And when you when you start to blend too many naturals together, there there comes a point where it just becomes it smells like people just call it aromatherapy, and they can't tell the difference between various different scents when it, when it becomes too complex. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, because uh, there can be. Um, it can be quite overwhelming, can't it? Because the thing with the essential oils is that they are, um, by nature, um, quite punchy and they've got a presence about them. Um, and when you mix all of those together, it can sometimes just turn into a generic smell. And it, it sounds really bad, but it's sometimes what I used to say, because we in in our weighing up lab, we used to have a big container, and if there was any fragrances that went wrong, we would put the, the oil into the container. So we would call that just our scrap can. And sometimes you would get that with, um, with some particular um, high proportions of essential oils that it could smell a bit scrap canny. And what I mean by that is that it was just a mixture of ingredients and you couldn't pick out what it actually was supposed to be. Um, and it didn't, it lost its character. So then that's where the aroma chemicals come in really nicely because they can start to connect things together. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what I was just saying there as well, Karen, is that you're more on the artisanal and niche section rather than mass production. Um, yeah. So you definitely fall into that camp of where people, um, 
you've got more freedom to use essential oils because um, at the end of the day, mass production, they're looking for cheaper costs and they're looking for more consistency. Or if you're making things on a smaller scale, um, the individual cost of the, of the fragrance isn't necessarily as important because you're not looking at huge volumes of it. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a big swing for sure. Um, but yeah, so hopefully that's, um, that's taught you a little bit about technically how a fragrance is constructed um, and what you might find in, uh, in your particular fragrances that you use. Um, and we're going to talk um, in the next video, we're going to talk a bit about how Karen designs a perfume and a bit more about the, the artistry behind it as well, which is going to be really exciting. Um, but for now, this technical piece um, should give you um, a good idea of, of how a fragrance is constructed and how you can smell a perfume from start to, to the end of the day. Um, and now you know it's constructed of top, middle and bottom. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so hopefully you've learned a lot and we will see you on the next video. If you've got any comments or questions about uh, this particular topic or any suggestions as to other videos we could do, just drop a comment below and as, as well, we'd love a like or a subscribe as well. So nice to see you and we will see you on the next video.